All right, welcome back to the Grok Science Show. Our interview today is with Dr. Steve Underwood, the director of the Connected Vehicle Proving Center located at the University of Michigan at Dearborn. We'll talk about what's going on today in the industry of self-driving cars and what Dr. Underwood forecasts for the future. Here's Dr. Underwood with a brief introduction. Yes, I'm Steve Underwood from the Connected Vehicle Proving Center at the University of Michigan Dearborn. And uh, this was established, the, the CVPC was established uh, by the 21st Century Jobs Fund uh, by the state of Michigan. And it was designed and established to uh, support the development of the connected vehicle industry in, in the state of Michigan, and in particular southeastern Michigan by providing uh, development and testing capabilities for connected vehicles. And in recent years, we've evolved um, our work into um, the automated vehicle area. And we're working more and more on that um, with uh, Tardec and with the auto companies who are developing driver assist systems. And uh, we're doing a lot of work in um, the forecasting of technologies and systems that will be coming forward in the next 10 and 20 years. So um, uh, we're uh, working uh, with industry in southeastern Michigan and um, you know throughout the United States. Um, and uh, it's an area that's really growing rapidly. So we're very actively engaged in this activity at this time. Before we go any further, let's let's talk about what these cars are actually doing. Can they really do everything a driver can do, or are they mostly, well, yeah? They're called self-driving vehicles because they do just that. They drive, and the idea is that they replace the driver. And this includes, you know, knowing where they're going, or the driver can tell, or the rider, I guess you would call them now, would know where they're going. Uh, planning a route to get to their destination, um, observing the road and traffic and road signs and signals along the way, and then actually controlling the vehicle that is accelerating and steering and braking and doing all the things that the driver would be doing, and um, sort of managing their position in traffic that is like following the car in front of it and passing it and making turns and parking itself. It would do everything that the driver does today. That is, say, five or ten years into the future, that's what they're being designed to do. And how do they do that? How do they actually um, uh, sense how far away they are from other cars? Or how do they uh, interpret signs? So, you know, just like the human, um, the uh, vehicle has, you know, certain behaviors like the human behaviors that involves sensing and perceiving the environment and then uh, essentially computers sort of help them in understanding and learning and memorizing that environment. And uh, then they're designed to take action, both strategic, that is at the strategic level, and be doing routing and deciding the departure time and avoiding traffic jams and the like, and then tactically, 
they would actually maneuver themselves in lanes in between cars and the like. And um, you know, just as an example, um, I'm, we're working with um, an organization called the Fleet Automation Forum. And one of the target examples in the near term is to have the trucks sort of link up electronically into a train where the uh, first vehicle of the train has a, of the platoon essentially, has a driver. And then the following vehicles um, essentially electronically follow that vehicle without any kind of driver input. The drivers in those vehicles can sit back and do other things. And um, one of the primary objectives is to essentially reduce wind resistance and then um, you know, reduce fuel consumption as a result. And so you know, they provide environmental benefits that way. But um, you know, there's a whole range of systems. You know, starting off with you know assisting the driver today, and moving on to a future, say ten to twenty years from now, when they'll be driving themselves. So assisting the driver means maybe taking over for some defined tasks like parking or um, or um, maybe highway driving. Yeah, yeah, you know, um, cars today are coming out with systems. You're familiar with cruise control. Now, that's, that's a form of assisting the driver. And, you know, more advanced systems uh, that are similar are, are adaptive cruise control, where the car adjusts to the speed of the vehicle in, in front of it. And if you add to that, um, you know, lane keeping by observing the lanes and, and staying in between the lanes, or even better, centering themselves between the lanes, and um, avoiding collisions by sensing a potential collision out there and um, actually applying, you know, the brakes or decelerating to, to avoid a collision. And then there's something called traffic jam assist uh, that's been developed in Europe where um, they have a lot of stop and go traffic there. And it's like uh, adaptive cruise control only at a, at a slow speed where the vehicles are actually coming to a stop. And your vehicle will follow the vehicle in front of it, come to a stop and go, stop and go um, as the traffic moves ahead. And um, these systems are a little smoother in their reactions than um, a human driver. And so it, to a certain extent, it, it helps reduce the, um, the traffic jams themselves. And uh, but there are we move from you know uh, cruise control to adaptive cruise control where they adjust to something called say what GAM is developing a system called Super Cruise that combines both um, the adaptive cruise control feature adjusting the vehicles in front but also um, you know centering itself in the lane and when you do that on the highway. You're about to the point where the driver can remove their feet from the pedals and remove their hands from the steering. 
and um, even though they're responsible for the control of their vehicle um, legally, um, really, in actuality, the vehicle is driving itself already on the highway. So those are driver assist type systems. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I am interested in in kind of the the way the policy is going to work with this. You said they are still responsible legally, um, but can you say a little more about that? Because I know that's a question a lot of people have. Yeah, well, I, you know, I'm not a legal expert, so um, you know, my comments are not really formal on this. But um, there's going to be a lot of questions about um, you know, should one of these vehicles get into some sort of a, a crash or accident. Um, who's responsible. And in general, the way that the current laws have been written, which are targeted at this point mostly toward testing, it is, you know, the driver uh, and or the company that is testing the vehicle. Um, uh, these are the more advanced systems that is responsible. Or if it's indeed um, one of the systems that is on the market today, and they have, you know, these driver assist systems on the market. Now, just as in all cases, it's, you know, the, the driver of the vehicle who is taking responsibility for pushing the button for cruise control and setting it up. And if their car mm -hmm. gets into an accident or causes an accident, um, they're responsible. That is, if the, if the system is running appropriately. Now, um, you can see a time in the future where, the vehicles are completely driving themselves, and um, it uh, very well could be that the manufacturers take more responsibility. But you know, again, theoretically, in those cases, there are going to be fewer crashes. Um, the thought is that the number of crashes are going to be reduced—not crashes, but you know, say fatalities—are going to be reduced by two thirds. And then in addition, um, the sensors that are on board the vehicle are, are saving it to um, you know, a recorder. And you know, it's, it can become very clear uh, what happened mm -hmm. in a, a crash. And um, it's very likely to be that the vehicle uh, with this equipment is, is not, was not the cause of the crash but we'll be able to find out what the cause is. So um, that's opening some doors for some debate on uh, liability and legal responsibility for these vehicles. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to watch. Um, you, you mentioned the safety of, of these cars. What, what makes them safer? Is it because um, you kind of eliminate distracted driving or or impaired driving? Is that what, what is making these cars safer? Well, you know, most traffic crashes and the resulting injuries and fatalities are caused by human error. And, you know, computers have better attention spans than, than humans. They don't get tired. Uh, they don't divert their eyes when they get a text message. Um, they don't have too much to drink. Um, you know, these are 
all the problems that humans have when they're driving vehicles. You know, we were essentially, I think there's going to be a day, say 20, 30 years from now, when our kids can will look back and think, wow, you mean you actually drove the car yourself? <laughs> um, because it's not the kind of task that's um, really uh, amenable to, you know, human behavior. You know, um, and uh, so that's number one. I think that it'll just eliminate all the driver error or move toward eliminating driver error. Number two, they will be designed, I believe, to be defensive drivers. That is, the vehicles will be defensive drivers. And uh, that is to, make, to ensure that they're safe. Um, and so they'll be cautious. They'll move cautiously, perhaps a little bit more slowly. Uh, they'll be more careful at intersections than a, than a human would be. And that's to assure that they don't get into a, a crash of some sort. And um, the the riders in these vehicles, in, in these cases, uh, I believe will be uh, relatively patient. That is, they won't be as stressed out as the commuters are today or anxious to get to their destination just to get done with the driving task, uh, they'll be doing other things in their vehicles. And um, say they're texting or watching videos or, you know, uh, communicating with others or who knows what they'll be doing. Um, I think often people, uh, yes, say they, um, they're able to do all their email while they're in their car. On their way to, on the commute to work in the morning. Well, I think that time will go very fast, and so the cautious behavior of the vehicle um, won't be aggravating or annoying as it is um, when you happen to be the the driver of the vehicle yourself, and you're just anxious to get done with the trip. So uh, I think things are going to change that way. Oh, I can't wait for that. <laughs> just sit back and watch a movie while your car does the work for you. Yeah, you know, one of the earlier systems is going to be um, an automated commuting system. That is, you pull onto the highway, you turn on the system, and then at least for the highway driving, um, it will uh, the vehicle will control itself. It'll, it'll drive itself. And you know, people who you know are commuting will really benefit from this because. Essentially, they could be working while they're in the car um, or doing whatever else they want to do while they're in the car. But it won't be, it'll, it should be a comfortable, um, convenient place to be. And there's some concern by uh, a lot of urban planners, for example, that um, it will sort of increase the desire to commute and might, might actually result in additional traffic. Uh, it will increase the demand for uh, car travel or highway travel. Mm. And, um, and, so, and, I, and I think that is likely to be something that we see, although it should smooth out the travel in the long term, too, because the vehicles will uh, essentially drive more efficiently than the human driver. And is fuel com consumption probably about the same, or is there a difference? Well, okay, so because, uh, you know, they're designing systems right now 
because of you know the, uh, the battery in the vehicles to, to save on energy. And indeed, um, the vehicle can increase or decrease speeds, um, cruise to a stop, uh, turn itself off at a stop, um, and adjust to save energy. Uh, that, that's, one of the, that's one of the early features that we'll find. And it's primarily because of um, the electric vehicles and the hybrid vehicles that are out there. Can you say a word on um, on how the actual technology works with regards to monitoring how close you are to another car? I mean, is it like Doppler shift? Well, it depends on what kind of sensors you're looking at. But in general, um, a lot of the uh, for inexpensive uh, forward uh, sensors are radar sensors. And yes, uh, they can... Um, determine within centimeters, you know, the distance of the vehicle ahead. Um, it's uh, you're increasing or decreasing uh, velocity uh, approaching uh, the vehicle in front of you. It's it's very accurate. I think much more accurate than say um, a human is. Now they also have vision systems that is cameras essentially, and. Uh, uh, stereo vision systems, where there'd be two cameras on the front of the vehicle, and um, and between those, it's kind of like the Connect system. If you're familiar with those in, in, in uh, uh, with the Xbox, uh, <laughs> um, you can determine movement and distances very easily in three dimensions, and um, these uh, the vision systems are very helpful in. Um, actually identifying and classifying what the object is in front of it. And then there are uh, LIDAR systems that essentially emit a LIDAR and uh, you know, can detect just like a Doppler shift the, uh, very rapidly the distance of objects in front of it in, in a much more detailed way than um, the radar system can. But um, you know, you combine these systems, and the vehicle knows quite a bit uh, what's you know going on in front of it and around it and behind it. And as a matter of fact, one of the key challenges that's uh, being addressed right now is you know how do you localize or identify the location of a a vehicle in areas where you don't have GPS, mm. and they've developed very um, accurate systems that essentially uh, look very carefully using LIDAR uh, or the, or the um, light-emitting radar uh, type systems to determine what the structure is of the roadway in front of you and essentially go through a process of mapping what you're, what the car is seeing um, with the LIDAR to a map that's internal to the vehicle and thereby identifying again within centimeters uh, the location of the vehicle and then using the same technology to identify waypoints along the way and the trip and you know essentially to help um, adjust the vehicle to uh, 
move tactically as well as strategically along its route. And in this case, it can do it either in conjunction with or uh, without uh, a GPS system. So is this a project you guys are working on at the, the um, Connected Vehicle Proving Center, or, um, or what sorts of things do you guys do? So um, we're involved in you know, several different types of activities. One of them is the actual engineering of the vehicles uh, that we're talking about. We're going through a process right now where we are uh, we developed the architecture for a vehicle of this a type, and um, we're designing the messages uh, that communicate between the by-wire control system and essentially the driver replacement of the the automation system, and um, we are. Uh, working to put a demonstration of that into place over the course of the next year. Um, second, we're uh, essentially designing systems for special purposes or uses. Um, so, for example, um, there's a military base, uh, Fort Bragg, where we're designing um, essentially a small cart or a golf cart-like size vehicle um, that will uh, transport wounded warriors from their barracks uh, mm -hmm. to the hospital and back. Um, uh, and if they have injuries, the vehicle itself will uh, drive them back and forth. In a very, these vehicles are rather slow, say traveling between 5 and 15 miles an hour with uh, uh, a very clear path that's designated for the vehicle, but it'll reduce the overall uh, travel time of the wounded warriors from about 20 minutes down to five minutes, which would be nice because it's just a very direct route. And um, and then we're going through some uh, forecasting activities uh, where we're trying to look at the future of these systems and when they're going to be in place and helping the industry understand um, essentially the roadmap to the, the fully automated vehicle. So on, on that last point, I think maybe you're a good person to, um, to clear up some confusion about who's doing what right now because I know people kind of know about the, the Google cars, right? They get a lot of press. Mm -hmm. But but who else is who? Who are the other players in this field? Uh, are the car companies we know well, like GM and and Ford, also um, having a hand in this? Well, first of all, I'll start off by saying that um, the automated systems that go into vehicles today are a product of what I would say are are three different communities. One is the telematics communities, which is essentially telecommunications and consumer electronics. And the people working in these communities uh, go to the uh, Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas or, or Telematics Update. And um, they work with cellular systems, 4G, and LTE and satellite systems. And they're uh, companies like OnStar and ATX and you know, the same system that you get in the Ford and Qualcomm and organizations like that or companies like that. And there's another community. Um, that is focused primarily on 
cooperative short-range communication. That is these essentially Wi-Fi-like systems, um, and it's called um, dedicated short-range communication that's being developed here uh, in the United States and actually worldwide. Um, and when I say they're Wi-Fi-like, they have about the same range as the Wi-Fi system that you're familiar with, but they enable vehicle-to-vehicle -vehicle communication, vehicle-to infrastructure communication, and um, the the U.S. Department of Transportation has been uh, very heavily involved in that. And as a matter of fact, in Ann Arbor, Michigan, they had a uh, a safety pilot where I believe they had up to 3,000 vehicles outfitted with these communication systems, and they tested it out to see if they, you know, how they would improve safety. And then there's this third community, uh, which is essentially the development of what might be called unmanned or autonomous vehicles historically. And it's largely uh, the military working with LADAR and LIDAR and vision systems and um, essentially developing systems like where they can put the, the military vehicles into convoys and adapt the robotics uh, for the military to support them. And this is where you're getting more into what I was describing as localization and mapping. And uh, over the last decade, there have been several DARPA, DARPA challenges uh, with the Department of Defense where they've tested these vehicles out in, in competitions. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, um, uh, these folks go to a, a different set of <laughs> conferences, for example, uh, with the Association for Unmanned Vehicle Systems, or AUPSI. Anyway, there's these three communities, telematics, cooperative short-range communication, and then the unmanned autonomous, all working together for, from the automotive perspective um, in a kind of a single integrated system uh, when it's combined with in-vehicle networking and by-wire actuation. I'd say the organization that, that seems to be the most unifying force at this point is the Society of Automotive Engineers. Um, in this area, but this is really a growing market. Um, you know, it's growing by about 35 percent per year, and it'll continue that until you know at least 2015, and maybe grow even faster after that. And um, you know, essentially, a lot of the you know companies that you're very familiar with are are quite involved in this space. I mean. Uh, you might be familiar with the Ford Fusion system that uh, is coming out in 2013 that has essentially a, a lane-keeping system and a driver alert system and adaptive cruise control. And these can be then combined for the kind of system that I was describing earlier. And, and this is kind of uh, uh, the Ford Fusion is, you know, a mid-priced vehicle. Um, and, and in fact, that's one of the things that we're noticing that in the future that the systems are, are likely to be, you know, part of a standard package on the vehicle and, you know, quite reasonably priced. But in addition to, to Ford, you know, there's Cadillac that's developing the Super Cruise system and Mercedes and Nissan and Honda and Volvo and others, you know are all developing these systems. So it seems like, you know, a lot of the auto companies have some sort of stake in this. And, um, and of course, they depend on their suppliers 
to develop the sensors and um, the by wire systems that go in the vehicles. And um, there's essentially um, sensor manufacturers like um, IPAO and Velodyne and others. And then there's systems integrators or tier one suppliers like Bosch and Denso and Delphi. And then there's, as I was saying, the vehicle manufacturers ranging from Toyota, Ford, and General Motors, and Nissan, and most of the other manufacturers at this point. What we're going to see next is um, essentially this integrated cruise control, or what um, uh, General Motors is calling Super Cruise. That and this traffic jam assist system that I talked about where the vehicle can you know, move and stop and go traffic. And um, but I think that the biggest advance is the one that we were talking about, uh, where there'll be fully automated highway driving, and that, that that's mm -hmm. you know five or ten years into the future. But it will have you know essentially lane centering and cruise control, and will be supported by uh, these maps for localization and wayfinding, as I described before. And um, you know. Uh, I've recently done a survey of experts in the field, and their belief at this point is that by 2025, uh, these capabilities will be in place and that there will be uh, an int introduction of a fully automated vehicle into the market. And by 2030, you might even see something like a, a robotic taxi on the street <laughs> where Essentially, it'll come pick you up and grab you where you want to go and then pick up the next person. And um, so it's not too far into the future. We're likely to be seeing these systems. I cannot wait for robo-taxis. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, have you driven one, by the way? Have you driven a self-driving car? Or is that not yep. the right verb? <laughs> right, right. I, I've had a ride, yes. Yeah. <laughs> What's it like? Is it scary? Well, for me, the first time it was, but this was many years ago, and uh, <laughs> the way they did it was they put me in the front seat, um, this was with the, the Boss vehicle developed by Carnegie Mellon and GM, and uh, they, they sat in the back seat, and <laughs> they let the vehicle go through cones, you know, a cone system, and it was very impressive, but I've been in many other vehicles now, and uh, have a better sense of uh, how they perform, and um, you know, it's coming, and it's just a matter of people uh, getting a little experience on them, and they'll become very comfortable, I believe. That was an interview with Dr. Steve Underwood, director of the Connected Vehicle Proving Center at the University of Michigan at Dearborn, telling us about self-driving cars, how they work, when they will be here, and the work he's doing at the CVPC. As we've heard, this field is likely to move quickly, so keep an eye out for new developments. And when you're driving on the highway, keep an eye on the car next to you. If there's no driver in the front seat, maybe you're looking at one of the prototypes for self-driving cars. <laughs> that would be creepy. During this transition to unmanned vehicles, it might be a little eerie, but it probably won't be such an uncommon sight 10 years from now. That is, if people buy into it. And as we've heard from Dr. Underwood, that is a definite possibility for the future. Um, it would definitely be taking the bus, I think. Sure would. <laughs> and that's all the time we have today on the Grok Science Show. For Charles Lee, Frank Ling, and Joanna Rowell, I'm Samantha Thomas. I'm Steve Briscoe. Thanks also to Forrest Goulden. 
<laughs> um, and Shenan Zhang. Have a great afternoon and keep on grokking.